welcome to Tigers in Translation, the podcast that tells Princeton students' stories in their own voices. We hope to build community around language at Princeton and spark conversations about our experiences. I'm Tyler, and today we will hear from Mario. On my first day of school in the U.S., my brother and I said goodbye to our parents and walked together to the bus stop. As we waited for the bus, we played with the snow on the ground, making stars, hearts, and flowers with our feet, which was very exciting. When we entered the bus, our bus driver said hi, and we said hello back in English. As we sat on the bus, listening to other kids' conversations, I realized that the kids on the bus were speaking English to each other, and English only. I thought to myself, that's odd, but it's okay. No big deal. They probably prefer to speak in English because their Arabic is not good. Before I knew it, the bus had pulled up behind several other yellow school buses and outside of my window was my new school, Morgan Road Elementary. My brother and I got out of the bus and followed the herds of students walking from their buses to the school entrance, but it wasn't long before we realized we had no idea where we were supposed to go. I could tell that my brother was starting to get nervous, but we both knew it was way too soon to admit to freaking out. We knew we had to figure it out, so like anyone lost would do, we decided it was best to ask one of the many kids around us for directions. I saw this girl who looked approachable, so I went up to her and said, I'm new here, do you know where I can find this classroom? And I pointed to the printed schedule I had in my hands. She stood there, looking very confused, but she didn't say anything back. She just looked at us. Why is she confused? I thought to myself. I asked her a very simple question. If she does not know where the classroom is, then she should just say that she doesn't know, and in that case, I would ask someone else. When the girl didn't say anything, my brother pulled me aside and told me to ask her in English, to which I responded, her Arabic must be terrible. My brother and I knew very basic English words and phrases, and very little grammar. Like most schools in Egypt, the elementary school that we went to taught English starting in first grade. So when the girl didn't seem to understand what we were saying, we decided to speak to her in English. And by English, I mean very limited broken English, but still English. I pointed to the first class on my schedule, which was homeroom, and asked, where this class? As the girl's confused face finally began to change this blonde lady tapped me and my brother on our shoulders and she smiled at us and said something very excitedly that ended up with our names so we knew she was expecting us which was comforting she motioned for us to follow her so we did she took us to this really small room which we later learned was the esl classroom she spoke to us very slowly in english and used very basic words so we were able to pick up some of what she was trying to tell us And one of the first things she told us was that she did not know Arabic, which was mind-boggling for me. She's an adult. She should know at least some basic words. In any case, she gave us these translation devices that looked like large flip phones and showed us how to use them. And for the next few minutes, she used these devices to communicate to us what our day was going to look like. When she was done, she took us to our homeroom classroom so that we would join our peers. Up until this point, my brother and I were together, but when she took us to our classes, she dropped my brother off first at the 6th grade classroom, and then she dropped me off at the 5th grade classroom. When I entered the class, my teacher was expecting me. 
She had some of the students make me welcome cards, which they gave me when I came in. All the cards were written and signed in English. So even though I was very flattered, I became exceedingly anxious. Everyone was talking to me, but I had no idea what they were saying. Before we transitioned to our lesson, my teacher gave me this thick American history textbook, which as you probably can assume was also written in English. And I didn't understand anything I was saying. And as the teacher taught at the board, it is very safe to say that I genuinely did not understand the thing she said. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. And that was a first for me. I grew up in a house full of teachers. My mom taught history and my grandmother and aunt taught math. So when I did not understand a thing by the end of class, I started to cry. I felt so helpless and confused and before I knew it, everyone was looking at me, which made me feel stupid. I couldn't communicate my frustration and confusion and I couldn't understand 99% of what was being said to me. That day, my teacher gave me a teddy bear and told me not to worry. But it was too late. I had already started to freak out. By then, I realized that my assumption about my peers' and teachers' ability to speak Arabic was false. Yes, I was taught English since the beginning of school, even though Egypt's national language is technically Arabic. That, however, doesn't mean that the U.S., an English-speaking country, would teach its people Arabic. After a second look at my weekly schedule, it all made sense. Unlike my school schedule when I was in Egypt, the schedule I held in my hands did not mention Arabic reading or writing anywhere. The only Arabic I was to speak or hear would be communicated by my family. My world was truly turned upside down. The friendships I was supposed to make, the education I was supposed to receive, the better life I was supposed to have, everything I had looked forward to was gone. Why? Because I was the girl that spoke Arabic in the midst of people who did not. 2011 was full of firsts for me. First time flying internationally, first time seeing snow, and first time going to school in the U.S. But most importantly, it was the first time ever where my ability to speak Arabic differentiated me from my peers. It was the first time I began to think about the dominance of languages. If we learned their language, but they did not learn ours, does that mean that their language is better? With time, things got better, as they usually do. I learned English and became more familiar with the experiences and perspectives of my American peers. As I became more accustomed to living in the U.S. and speaking the language, I always laughed at 11-year-old me who expected Americans to know some Arabic simply because Egyptians are taught English in school. A few summers ago, however, I was shocked when my grandfather expressed similar assumptions during his visit to the U.S., as we drove to the grocery store one day, he made a comment about why store signs were only written in English. Shouldn't the Arabic translation be written somewhere, he wondered. Later, when a few of my English-speaking American friends came over to my house, he asked me why I don't speak Arabic to them. Just like my 11-year-old Egyptian immigrant self, my 78-year-old grandfather expected Arabic to be part of American life. My grandfather's questions made me realize that the assumptions made by 11-year-old me were not completely absurd. The fact that my grandfather, who has nearly eight decades worth of life experience, held the same assumptions as 11-year-old me shows that those assumptions and expectations are more than an innocent child's mistake. 
Egyptians learn English, but Americans don't learn Arabic. Why is that? Thank you for sharing your story, Mariam. Could I ask you a few more questions about your story? Yeah, absolutely. So my first question would be, what motivated you to tell this story? Well, I wanted to share a non-Western perspective about language diversity and language dominance. I wanted to show that while English is the lingua franca of the world, its importance to the common global citizen varies because each individual's understanding of language is highly dependent on their personal and cultural experiences, their upbringing, as well as their, the, the socio-political histories and realities that they are exposed to. So this would then lead me to my next question, which is how did you deal internally with language dominance and what did that mean for you when interacting with students? Initially, it was difficult to reconcile my relationship with Arabic. As an immigrant, it was imperative that I learn English because English proficiency seemed so fundamental to my success, um, not only as a student, but also as an assimilated functioning immigrant. Mm -hmm. So for the first few years after immigrating to America, I completely did not care for Arabic. You can even say that I despised it to an extent because it seemed to hold me back. But as my English improved and I became bilingual, I began to appreciate Arabic more and it eventually came to be my proud badge. Over time, I realized that Arabic is a symbol of my heritage and my multilingual identity. And I became more aware of the way it shaped my opinions and perspectives. Knowing Arabic became more empowering rather than othering. And with these realizations, I became very willing to share my experiences and language with my peers, and that was in order to promote acceptance of, you know, multilingualism as well as multiculturalism. Your love of your language is very inspiring. Um, so this would lead me to my last question, and it's how has your relationship to Arabic changed since you came to Princeton? Well, at home, my family primarily uses Arabic to communicate, but on campus, I only spoke Arabic when I called my parents or on the rare occasion when I met another Middle Eastern person who also, spoke, who also spoke Arabic. So on campus, Arabic became my language instead of my family's language. It became a part of my personal identity. And in addition to that, being away from home caused my relationship with Arabic to become more of a choice rather than a predetermined decision because I was no longer kind of forced to speak it with my parents. But even though my ability to speak Arabic declined slightly during college because I didn't speak it as much or as often, coming to Princeton gave Arabic a new meaning and it made my relationship with the language more personal. Again, thank you so much for being here today. We really appreciate you sharing your story with us. Tigers in Translation is supported by the Rapid Response Magic Project of the Princeton University Humanities Council. Please subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Do you have a story you want to share? You can reach our team at tigersintranslation at gmail.com. Our production team includes Amanda Bond, Tyler Bennett, Londi Hernandez, Mariam Camel, Annika Mascara, and Tanvi Nabonapati. Our faculty advisor is Dr. Sean Gonzalez. Thanks for listening.